When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Edge Rush, the comprehensive NFL slate breakdown from a betting perspective, sides and totals. It's week seven. I'm your host, Chris Abbott, joined, as always, by TA from Clev Analytics and Hitman, professional better at Hitman428 on Twitter. And guys, seven weeks in, just when you thought you had it figured out, there's some more curveballs thrown at you in week number six. Uh, if you have anything to lament, we can get into it as we break down the games and the teams that broke your heart or padded your bankroll. But without any further ado, let's just jump right into the Thursday nighter. And after a couple of very, very lackluster Thursday night games, we've got one with a potential to be less lackluster in the New Orleans Saints and the Arizona Cardinals. The spread has been all over the place in this game. It opened up at about two, two and a half. It's been to one and a half, two, kind of back to two and a half, two all day today, and total sitting around 44 right now. TA, let me start with you. Is the return of DeAndre Hopkins going to matter? I'm all out on Kyler Murray. I cannot bet on these guys no matter what happens going forward here. So let me know how you're looking at this game. Yeah, and I learned my lesson. I was uh, came on here and, and uh, talked up the Cardinals last week against Seattle because uh, I thought they had turned some things around. They had looked good the last, you know, the prior two weeks, almost beat the Eagles, and they were getting healthier. And then they just laid a complete egg against the worst defense in the NFL last week. And, you know, a bunch of, they got into the red zone a lot, just a bunch of fourth down failures. Um, nobody, nobody getting open, just no creativity on offense. Defense played pretty well, but it was, it was a, it was a crappy effort. And you could just tell that the, the Kyler Murray's frustrated. And I think the whole offense is uh, just broken and, now they lose Hollywood Brown, but they do get DeAndre Hopkins, as you mentioned. I'll be curious to see, you know, how rusty he is. You know, he hasn't played in almost a year because, if you recall, he, he missed the end of last season with an injury and then obviously had the uh, suspension. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for him to just step right in and play a full allotment of snaps. So um, I'll be curious to see how they ease him in. Uh, they did trade for Robbie Anderson, and I did see that he might get some snaps too, which will be interesting. I'm sure they'll just have him run some go routes. It's pretty much the only route he runs anyway. Uh, and see if uh, Kyler can hit him. But I, I like um, New Orleans and a teaser here. I think if you can get it over uh, seven and a teaser leg, I think it's pretty solid. First of all, the, the Cardinals have lost eight straight home games. They haven't beaten a team at home by more than seven since the beginning of, I think, 2020. <laughs> it's been just a crazy, crazy amount of time um since they've won you know big at home they're six and 13 against the spread seven and 12 straight up at home since the beginning of 2020 uh in you know we don't i don't think any of us really believes in cliff kingsbury as a, as a coach and you know you can really tell a lot about these coaches on um these short turnaround games and um the cardinals are all four straight up and against the spread on a short week under uh, under kingsbury and three of those times they were a favored so it's not like they were 
you know, uh, expected to lose. So you know, not a good spot normally for them. They don't blow teams out. They've been awful this year on offense. Uh, they lose a big play guy in, in Hollywood Brown. Uh, even though Hopkins is back, it's, you know, it's just a different offense. That'll take time to adjust. They they got a couple of cluster injuries along the offensive line, which I think are worth noting. We talked about yesterday. Um, Justin Pugh, their starting uh, guard is out. And Rodney Hudson, their starting center, is also out. He was announced out today. He missed last week's game against Seattle, and and they missed him. The Sean Harlow is the backup center. He got absolutely abused. He's graded out as a 36-rated uh, center out of 38 qualified players and pass block grade by PFF this year. Max Garcia is filling in for Pugh at guard. He's a below average <laughs> uh, guard as well. So two really poor players uh, inside there against a defensive line that you know um, hasn't put a ton of pressure on the quarterback, but in this case with those with those two guys in there, I think they've got a shot at putting pressure on on Kyler Murray. And I just think the Saints in general are, are undervalued. You know, they, yeah, they have a lot of injuries at receiver. They do get back Chris Olave. They still have Taysom Hill uh, to mix in with Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, whoever starts. And, you know, still have Elvin Kamara. I think they can definitely compete for, at a shot to win this game. Uh, but I think, you know, with a teaser leg at minimum, you you protect yourself a little bit from a blowout. So I'll be on the, the Saints here um, from a teaser perspective. And interesting enough, you know, I, I keep talking about how they're underrated. They're second in the NFL in net success rate, if you could believe that. So um, they've, they've played pretty well. It's just, you know, some tough endings, you know, a couple bad beats here uh, in the last couple of weeks against Minnesota and last week against Cincinnati. And um, obviously some injuries are, are, you know, doing them in. So um, that's the only thing that's holding them back. But I think that's a team to watch from a long shot playoff perspective, um, as long as they get some players back. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I really like the Saints in a teaser leg. I lean towards them against the spread as well. Everything TA said was spot on. You know, Arizona's offensive line injuries are nothing to look past with Pugue and Hudson now out and everyone's talking about oh well Hopkins is back well I would say that Hopkins coming back game one is a downgrade off of Hollywood Brown who they just lost and was having a great season I mean his over under for catches every single week was six and a half recently and you know you look at the stats with the Cardinals this year they've led for three percent of their offensive snaps which is the lowest rate in the league they're the worst offense in the NFL in yards per play. One has to think that if they're the worst in yards per play and you're think and you're counting all the garbage time that they've been successful in in some of their games. I mean, imagine them without that garbage time. I would have to believe that they're the worst offense in the league and in, in at least in the first half, I would say. So they have three points in the first quarter this year. Yeah, I mean, and the Seattle game, I know that's the game where you're like, if you can't score against this team, you're it might not be happening this year. And I will say that I also trust the Saints culture and their coaching staff significantly more than I trust Arizona. I feel like a lot of the Saints' lack of success this year has been injury-driven. And I know that they still do have some of those injuries, but the Cardinals are really banged up as well. So for me, I, I could only look Saints in uh, against the spread and really like the teaser look. And I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of other teaser legs to, to pair with them as we go on. You mentioned Hollywood Brown too, just real quick note. Uh, so he's gotten almost 50% of the Cardinals air yards uh, from a team perspective. It's the third highest 
level of any receiver in the NFL. So it's a big deal. I mean, even Hopkins come back. He's not like a huge deep threat anymore. He's more of an intermediate, you know, shorter term uh, receiver anyway. So just from a big play perspective, he, he's definitely going to be missed. All right. All aboard the New Orleans Saints, because uh, that, that's where I was thinking as well, uh, like the teaser lake. So moving right into Sunday. We've got the Tennessee Titans coming out of the bye as a field goal or less favorite at home right now to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, another divisional game for the Colts. Another conference game for the Colts. Uh, week 7, and the Colts and the Chargers are the only two teams not to play a team from the other conference yet uh, as the scheduler uh, keeps giving us narratives uh, that don't really mean anything. Although it might mean something because the NFC is uh, a little bit weaker than the AFC this year. Um, we've got two teams that are, you know, 500 against the spread, more or less. Tennessee three and two, Indianapolis three and three. Uh, you're getting the three points at home here. The total, uh, we're seeing it around 42 and a half right now. It has touched 43 and a half. Come back down a bit. Uh, Hitman, is there anything in this one for you? Yes. So here's how we're going to approach this game from a, a betting standpoint, and in my opinion, the the way that I would. Um, I did bet Indy plus three, minus 120 earlier in the week. A lot of those threes are gone now, and we're seeing two and a half. I think that if you like Indy at the current moment, you wait to see if those threes, minus 120, come back. Always a possibility. All it could take is one service could release Tennessee, and that could move the line back up to three, minus 120. Then you grab the Colts, great. If that does not happen and the line does trickle down to two, one and a half, AOK teaser like that you put in with the Saints and some of the other teams that we're going to talk about later in this podcast. But the the Colts are the side that I'm looking towards. You know, the Titans have the worst yards per play differential in the entire NFL. I was very surprised to see that, that a team that most people probably think is average or very slightly below average is that poor in, in that category. And if you think about just what happened, I believe it was two, three weeks ago. These two teams played. The Colts were home in that game, and the Colts closed minus four. And they were being bet up on game day, which usually takes some pretty influential money to move game day lines. So I think that, you know, in my numbers, I know the Titans won that game, but if you look at the stats from that game, the Colts won the stats in that game and it was really turnovers that just absolutely killed them. And now with Indy getting Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines in all likelihood back in this game, they they found a little bit of an offense that works for them where they ran such a high, no huddle rate last week. And Matt Ryan threw for over 400 yards, no sacks, no turnovers. And I think that Frank Reich does do a good job of adjusting to his offense's strengths and, you never know. Maybe they did find something in that game with this no huddle that they're running right now. So with a Colts team that was is coming off a semi-fluky loss to the Titans, I think that it's a good look to, to back the Colts in some way on the rematch game just a few weeks later in Tennessee. Yeah, I would say I, I haven't touched this game. I, I, I would generally agree um, with the Colts' look. The Titans are just perplexing. If you look at all, as he mentioned, the uh, the yards per play differential, they are last. I mean, they're last in yards per attempt allowed, uh, adjusted for opponent. Um, 
they're just they're last in EPA uh, in pass defense if you exclude t- uh, turnovers as well. So like you could throw the ball all over this team. Uh, they just they always do this, and this is Mike Vrabel. This is great coaching. It's one of those things where sometimes the coaching and the culture takes over for uh, some of the, the underlying stats. Is he just finds ways? He just finds different ways to win, just like he did last year with all those injuries. So um, it is tough. I mean, I was on the on the Commanders two weeks ago against the Titans, and they they I think they outgained them. Like they they held the Titans to under four yards per play, and they just they somehow they had no. I don't I don't think they had a single play of over twenty yards. And somehow the Titans won that game and they held off at the end. It's just, you know, one of these days they're going to, they're going to collapse. But so I think the the right side is the Colts. Um, it's, uh, it's just always scary because the Titans somehow figure it out at the end. But uh, definitely, I think uh, I do agree that the Colts are the right side. Okay. I should have led off with this one. I should have skipped this on Thursday night even and went right to this game. Somebody's got to tell me what I'm missing. The five and one straight up and against the spread New York Giants, arguably the, comeback team of the season after what's been going on there for a couple of years head to jacksonville to play the two and four straight up and against the spread jags who are anything but impressive and the giants are three point road dog plus 140 on the money line ta i'm going to give you first crack at telling me why this is the way it is well, so, you know, look, I'm biased because I, I talked up the Giants in the offseason. I have tickets on them to win the division, to make the playoffs, over seven wins. Like, I, that was that's my highest exposure. So I love everything that's going on with Dayball and this, and this team. But they, if you watch any of their games, they're not, they're not a five-win team. Uh, I, uh, something I do is I look at um, blended fourth quarter win probabilities versus, you know, actual wins for a season, kind of add them all up each game. And if you see a wide gap there, typically means that um, you're kind of exceeding expectations uh, or under under, you know, not meeting expectations. And based on that, the Giants should have two point six wins, not five. Uh, so they by far are the biggest overachievers this year uh, you know, they're winning close games and they're kind of pulling things out of their ass. And it's just, they get all the credit in the world because Brian Dayball has been awesome. Um finding ways to win, utilizing Daniel Jones the right way, Saquon Barkley. But, you know, th- their underlying metrics do not fit a five-win team. So that's why this line is is three. Jacksonville, on the other hand, looks a lot better. I mean, if you look at just net success rate and not adjusted for opponent or anything else, the Giants are 22nd in the NFL. The Jags are seventh. Uh, a lot of the – it's like, like the opposite. The Jags are one of those teams that should have a lot more wins that, based on that, that fourth quarter – win probability number I talked about, they should have three and a half wins, not two. So, you know, it's like you've got one side of the coin where a team is, is really exceeding expectations and the opposite side where the Jags uh, are not meeting expectations at the second highest rate. So, um, you know, the underlying stats say this should be a Jags, you know, a Jags win. Um, there should be a reason, you know, there's a strong reason why they're favored by three. The general public will look like you said and say, Oh, five wins. Uh, why is that team not favored? And, you know, you, you got to separate yourself um, from the actual wins and losses sometimes and just look at some of the underlying performances. And, you know, so that's why the Jags are favored. They're, they're you know, they're, they are the better team. They just um, don't have the same number of wins. I'm sure Hitman agrees. Yeah. So I was part of the reason that Jacksonville got bet up from two and a half to three. And that was a game that I, I really liked it at two and a half. At three, I still lean towards Jacksonville um, just to, 
to me- as TA mentioned about the Giants just winning some of these fluke games, I mean, just look no further than last week. The Baltimore Ravens, seven yards per play, which is 0.4 better than the Buffalo Bills for the season. And the Giants, 3.8 yards per play, which is a full yard worse than the worst offense in the NFL. And, and the Giants won. And the Giants have just seemingly pulled so many of these games out at the end where you just you can't imagine that they have you can't believe that they have the record that they have. And Jacksonville, it seems like, has been on the other end of that, where specifically the game against Houston, they just absolutely dominate the stats and they end up falling short. So, I mean, to me, Jacksonville is clearly the better team by a point and a half. If you were to do regular season wins, if we were just going to start the season over right now and say, what's the season wins for Jacksonville and the Giants, it, assuming the same strength of schedule, because remember the Giants have had or do have this season a very easy strength of schedule, you, you'd have to say Jacksonville is clearly probably at least a game better, I would say. So for, for me, it's Jacksonville at minus three. Or, or nothing. Yeah, I will say one interesting look that I, I have to do a little more work on. But if you look at who, uh, if you look at strength of opponents, um, looking at EPA, for example, both of these teams have faced uh, three of the toughest schedule of opposing defenses. And then the other side of the ball, they've faced three of the um, tough, of the easiest set of opposing offenses. <laughs> so you've got kind of uh, two easy schedules from, you know, um, uh, a defensive perspective and then two difficult schedules from an offensive perspective. So it could be some, a little bit of value here on the over, um, you know, in terms of getting some points, maybe the giants get, you know, they could get some, some wide receivers back that would help things, but something to keep an eye on. Like I said, I haven't, I don't have a play on it, but I'm going to uh, dig in a little bit more because I think there could be, could be some value with, with the total just based on who the, who they've played so far. I'm getting some major trust the process vibes uh, off you guys from that game. So that's why that's why you're better at this than I am, because I would look at that and be like, oh, I haven't been that impressed by the Jags. Oh, New York's pretty fun and exciting this year. Um, but that's why the number is why it is. And that's why you listen to edge rush. OK, can I sell anybody on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus ten and a half uh, touching 11 at a lot of books now? So probably heading in that direction favorites in Carolina against the Panthers it's not been real pretty for the Bucks. they've they've trudged through and, and they've done okay you know they're tied for first in their division with the Falcons they are two and four against the spread but I mean on the other side of things you got the Panthers who you know imploded on the sideline they've got injuries they've got new coaches I mean to me this screams a stay away game but maybe there's something in this hitman tell me more I like Tampa in this game, and here's a stat that's going to blow everybody's mind about the Panthers last week. T.A., you might know it. Do you know what the air yards were for P.J. Walker last week? Yeah, I mean, I watched it. It can't be a lot because he was throwing sideways on every single attempt. P.J. Walker, I've never seen this, had negative one air yards on Sunday. I mean, that – that, that's a stat right there. Just 
throwing screens, just no aggressiveness from, I mean, PJ Walker's longest completion in air yards was one yard downfield. This is just an offense that they're just not even trying to make things happen right now. And Tampa is a team that that's not going to work against because Tampa is so good in their front seven. Like you're not going to be able to run the ball much on them with, with this offensive line. You're not going to be able to, to throw. I mean, if you're just throwing those type of passes, the speed of their linebackers is going to just make, make life hard on you. So I'm just not seeing much success from this Panthers offense envisioning much. And one thing about Tampa, I mean, people keep talking about, oh, they're not the same team. Brady's not motivated the same. I mean, I think it was either you or somebody else that mentioned this on Twitter, but Brady hasn't looked that bad, at least by the eye test. And a lot of his metrics are not that bad this year. And you still have a really good wide receiver core. You have a really good defense. I mean, a lot of their issues have been running the ball, but against this Carolina team, I mean, I just don't see Carolina putting up many points in this one. And despite what happened against the Steelers, I still think that this is an offense from a long-term perspective that I do have some faith in, in the Buccaneers. So, and, you know, I hate to use the word tanking because players do not tank, but organizations can make decisions to put players in non-ideal situations. And I think that the Panthers are doing everything they can to not put their players in the best um, spot for a lot of these games. So for me, it's uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, that was me. I, Cause I, I, it's a weird narrative that people are painting that, you know, Brady attended the Robert Kraft wedding and all this off the field stuff with his uh, divorce um, is really you know, messing with, with his play on the field. And it's like, have you watched him play? He's actually playing really well. He's, you know, top 10 in a lot of the advanced metrics. You know, I think PFF has him as a 12th highest graded or seventh greatest, highest graded uh, quarterback. Like he, he's been great. He's been fine. He's been actually pretty good. It's just the offensive line stinks. They're not giving him time and they're not creating holes in the run game. They're dead last in EPA per rush. And they keep running the ball a lot on first downs. Like they just, just predictable first and 10 up the middle with, with uh, Leonard Fournette and they're not getting anything. So they're being put in these third and longs and forcing Brady to make throws. So, yeah, I don't think, I, I think if they just tweak that a little bit, uh, throw a little bit more on early downs, they'll be fine. Uh, Panthers. Yeah. They, the one thing that they can do, as you mentioned, is they throw the ball to Christian McCaffrey all the time. You know, Tampa's always top five in um, not allowing, running backs out of the backfield uh, targets. So that's definitely a bad matchup for Carolina. I don't have a play on this because I've lost two two weeks in a row with Tampa, like <laughs> big numbers, and I'm kind of sick of it. So um, I, I'm laying off, but that that's the only way I would look. You know, a lot of people have lost uh, a lot in the last few weeks on the Green Bay Packers as well, and, and it feels to me a little bit, and again, this is all narrative stuff, you know, people are ragging on Brady. People are ragging on Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a whole new receiving core that sure ain't as good as the one he had before. And now he's got injuries to Randall Cobb. And uh, they're now a five point road favorite at Washington. And, and that organization, although it's nothing new, has plenty swirling around it this week as well. Uh, both teams two and four against the spread. Green Bay three and three straight up. Washington two and four straight up. Uh, commanders have allowed 135 points. Green Bay's allowed 123. Um, I'll go with you, TA, 
any play on this one for you or any any insights that uh, the people should have? Yeah, I took uh, I already took some uh, commanders at five and a half. I think that's the best we'll get here. I think it's down to four and a half a lot of spots, especially the sharper books. So it's likely to trend down than ever go back up to six. Uh, I, th- I continue to think this Washington team is a little bit underrated, especially on defense. Uh, I had them last week against the Bears. It was an ugly game, but, you know, the Bears didn't do anything on offense. The one thing that Washington was, you know, they were they were pretty good from a play-by-play perspective, but they were not creating any tur- turnovers at all. They had one turnover created before last week, and they were put in a lot of bad spots as well by the offense. So they were, they were defending short fields, but all in all, they're, they've been pretty good offense, especially against the run. And they showed up last week really well. They created a couple of turnovers, and you can see that you know they ended up with a hard-fought win at the end. And so, um, so I think the defense is pretty good, and and they'll challenge Aaron Rodgers. That offensive line for the Packers, which historically has been really good, has given them clean pockets. You know, they can't block anybody right now. The Jets totally destroyed uh, destroyed that line last week, and Rodgers had no time at all. They couldn't move the ball at all, especially in the first half. Washington's top five in pressure rate. We we know that that's the strength of their defense uh, along that front with Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen. So I think they can harass Rodgers a little bit. You know, Green Bay just can't get explosive plays down the field. The receivers can't separate. This is not a, a team that can create margin. They've got one win of more than three points this year, and that was against the Bears. And even that was, you know, it could have been a lot closer if, if Justin Fields scores uh, at the goal line uh, in the second half of that game. So you know, uh, I think they're they're not a team that you want to lay more than a field goal against most teams. I actually think T- Taylor Heineke is a slight upgrade to Carson Wentz based on what Wentz has done this year. You know, he just he panics in the pocket. He's he's not accurate. He's created some big plays. I'll give him that. That's the one thing he's done. He's gone down the field, but from a you know kind of a play by play perspective and a success rate, he hasn't produced very well. Tyler Heineke last year, for example, with the same roster. Uh, produced essentially a flat EPA uh, through the air, and Wentz is a minus 0.08 per dropback, so slightly better if you look at you know kind of apples to apples. And I think I like Heineke's playmaking ability. He can he's mobile. He can get out of uh, situations and make plays out of the out of the uh, out of the pocket. So you know if you did need a backdoor cover here, he's not a bad quarterback to have making plays scrambling around. Uh, you know, last year he beat Tampa straight up as a nine and a half point. Uh, home underdog uh, covered against Philly as a four and a half point dog at home. So, you know, he's been in the spot before and I think, you know, Washington with a little extra rest, you know, helps them out from a injury and stamina perspective. And so um, I, I just don't, I just can't lay more than three with the Packers here anymore, especially on the road. And so I'll, I'll take uh, Washington. Yeah. I leaned towards Washington. And one of the things that I can't get out of my mind is I'm watching the Jets and the Packers game last week. And after about two drives, I tweeted out, I said, I bet the Jets plus six and a half live. And sometimes just a few drives could tell you a a lot about a a way that the game's going to go way more than, than you obviously knew pre-flop and Aaron Rodgers constantly grabbing at his thumb and some of the throws that he was making it, he was not very accurate with the football and you could tell early in the game that his accuracy wasn't the same and you constantly had to watch him grabbing at that thumb. So that could be another potential issue for green Bay and it's not being talked about a ton right now. 
I mean, obviously he's been limited in practice, but I think that it might be affecting him a little bit more than um, the media has been letting, letting on. So I think, yeah, the only way that I could look is Washington. Sticking with the NFC North and East, you've got the Detroit Lions heading out of the bye to Dallas, where Dak Prescott returns for the Cowboys. Cowboys were at open a six and a half point favorite, uh, seven, seven and a half right now. Cowboys have played a lot of unders. Lions have played four out of their five games over. Uh, total has ticked up two points from 47 to 49. Hitman, do you have any interest or thoughts on this one? Not much. I mean, gun to head lean, maybe Detroit. And the logic behind that is you have a Lions team that, what do we know about them? They get down in so many games and they end up roaring back and making the score look respectable when the game should not have been respectable. So anytime it's a really big spread, with this, with this, this Detroit team, usually if I don't have an opinion on the game, I would just say gun the head, lean to Detroit. But you also have the fact factor that uh, Dak Prescott. I mean, we've heard that he's healthy, he's ready to play, and everything. But you just never know what what the zip on his ball is going to be look like until you actually see it. So. For me, I think it might be another game, you know, you could potentially look out live if you're watching it. And Dak looks a little bit like Rodgers looked last week without the same zip on his passes. You could look to, to play this game live. But pre-flop, I don't got much other than a gun the head lean on Detroit. Yeah, I don't have anything yet here on this one. It is an interesting matchup uh, for sure. Obviously, uh, as Hitman said, you don't know what's going to happen with Dak and that that finger. We saw last year Russell Wilson took a few weeks for him to, you know, essentially throw the ball normally. So um, who, who knows how he comes out this this week in his first game? Detroit got the bye. I mean, it's it's we saw DeAndre Swift practice today. If if Swift plays and they've got Amron St. Brown back, like I I think that I, I would lean Detroit's way. I actually might consider the over. The only thing would be holding me back is is Dak obviously with the finger, but you've got th- these teams. Detroit's number two in the NFL in explosive pass percentage. Uh, the Cowboys are number one at preventing that. Um, uh, you know, Detroit's got an excellent offensive line, obviously against the uh, um, the pressure, number one pressure team in Dallas. So pretty pretty interesting and fun kind of matchup there. Both these teams are top six in neutral game pace. Uh, so, you know, you've got kind of the makings of potentially an over here. Uh, but, you know, if DeAndre Swift can play, uh, I think I would – you know, take a look at Detroit side here. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I always feel super risky back in the lines in games like this. Cause uh, like the Hitman mentioned, it could get out of hand real, real fast, but uh, uh, you know, Dallas has been playing a lot of low scoring games too. So uh, that, that does, does leave that open a bit. Um, okay. So I've come on here every week and talked to you about how there's one team left with a perfect against the spread record. <laughs> And it's the Atlanta Falcons. And this week they head on the road to Cincinnati uh, to play the 4-2 and two against the spread Bengals. Uh, line has uh, been kind of bouncing back and forth between 6.5 and 6. Uh, sitting at 6.5 where I'm looking right now. Uh, total has also ticked up a couple of points in this game, uh, much like the last game. Are we ready to say that the Falcons are going to lose <laughs> a game against the spread yet, or do they keep on going? This is a pretty big spread for the Bengals, I think. Um, I'll start with you, T.A. Any thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I actually uh, closed my since my uh, New Orleans teaser with Cincinnati here at Pickham. Uh, I do kind of lean them straight up, but the Falcons have just been so plucky. <clears throat> you know, they've covered th- uh, three games on the road. One of them was essentially a coin flip against Seattle. And then the other two were against t- Tampa Bay and the Rams, where they were getting absolutely destroyed at halftime of both games, even through three quarters. I mean, they trailed by 13 and 18 points um at the half trailed by 21 to both tampa and the rams and somehow you know got luck lucky breaks and in a couple uh, cheap touchdowns at the end to get covers i don't think that they really deserve those covers and you know against you know step up in competition like they are with the Bengals here um i I think the Bengals can definitely uh, get out to a big lead and you know it's just a matter of can they hold off this this offense in the second half uh, to prevent a backdoor so that's why i went with the teaser but i i do kind of lean um, Bengals anyway, straight up. And, you know, the, the Bengals defense, they do a really good job making adjustments in the second half. Uh, their defensive coordinator, it's Lou Amarindo, I think, um, as I pronounce his last name. But he, he's he been notorious for uh, producing these um, game plans in the second half to slow down the opponent. He did it at the end of last year uh, where offenses could not do much in the second half. So I think you could see something similar here. And so um, maybe that does – hold off a back door, but I just think the Bengals, we started to see last week, everyone's, everyone's been, you know, clamoring for them to throw the ball a lot more on early downs. They were running it a lot up the middle with Joe Mixon and struggling at it. But last week they threw the ball um, at a much higher rate on early downs, I think 75% of the time and were successful almost 60%. So um, they got Jamar chase the ball a lot. T Higgins has another week to get healthy. The Falcons have some cluster injuries in the secondary. Uh, Casey Hayward, who's been their best corner uh, this year, he's he's out with a shoulder injury. A.J. Terrell, who was their number one corner last year, struggled a little bit this year. Uh, but he um, he was also um, he also got hurt, and he did not practice today. So I think he'll play, but it's, not, it's no guarantee, and he's no guarantee even be healthy. So right there, that's a tough cluster situation against, you know, three really good receivers. They'll spread you out. The Bengals will. The Falcons are dead last in pressure rate. So Joe Burrow, you know, will have plenty of time to find his receivers. So I think from a matchup perspective, it it fits uh, the Bengals here. And, you know, at some point, you know, the Falcons are not going to cover a game. It's they are the first team that I can see in my database who started off six and oh against the spread and were underdogs in game seven. That tells you just kind of how fortunate they've been because the market is still not rating them high enough. So, um, you know, I just think that this line is a little bit too light. Should be more like seven. You know, they were double-digit underdogs to both Tampa and LA. Now there are six to the Bengals. You know, that's that seems like a complete um, kind of over-correction. So uh, I would lean the Bengals here. Yeah, could only look Bengals also, as you spoke about. Just an, uh, similar to what I spoke about with the Colts earlier, saying, well, maybe they found an offense that, that works for them. The, the Bengals, they might have found an offense that works for them with this shotgun-heavy, spread-it-out offense. And Atlanta just does not profile as the type of defense that should be able to stop this Bengals team because so many teams have run that too-high shell against Cincinnati. Well, you got to be able to have a pass rush if you're going to be able to run that type of defense and the Falcons obviously not known for their pass rush. You have the potential cluster injuries at corner where it would have been a good matchup with AJ Terrell and Hayward against Higgins and chase. But if you're going to be missing one or possibly two of those guys, 
it, it's not a recipe for success. So I, I think that Cincinnati minus the six is the uh, only way that I could play this game. Okay, last game in the early window, and it's never straightforward when these two teams play. T.A., it's your Cleveland Browns as an underdog in Baltimore against the Ravens. Uh, sixes, six and a half across the board. Consensus total right now is about 45 and a half. I do see a 46 minus 105 out there as I'm looking on bet stamp. Um, this is an interesting division. Uh, two teams at three and three lead the way. Cleveland and Pittsburgh with wins and help could move into a tie in the, uh, in the AFC North with everybody else this weekend. So with that, is there any appetite to back the Browns against the Ravens who are coming off a loss versus the Giants? Yeah, I think uh, the Browns are kind of at their low spot here. Uh, you do have to pay attention to the injuries here because there are a couple on, on each side. The Browns are going to be missing Wyatt Teller's the best uh, best guard, one of the better guards in the NFL. They do have a good offensive line anyway, and they have some good backups. So it shouldn't be a major issue, but you know that's one thing. They got Jadavian Clowney, who's, who didn't play last week, and he's questionable. They are not good at stopping the run. They've been absolutely gashed. And so they're going to need, uh, need him in there for a pass rush and be to help stop the run. We'll say that the Rashad Bateman injury, uh, he's missed the last two games and he's been huge in, in, um, for that offense, you know, it's limited. These are limited samples, but Bateman's been on the field, uh, which has been a hundred snaps this year. The Ravens pass offense from an EPA perspective is essentially, you know, third best in the NFL when he's been off the field, which again is about 118 snaps, it's equivalent to like the 23rd ranked pass offense. And it makes sense. They have no depth at receiver. You know, Devin Duvernay is not a number one receiver. He's not even a number two or three receiver. And he's he's their their number one without Bateman. You know, so teams are going to be able to double and really focus on Mark Andrews. And so that limits their offense and limits their capability of expanding leads. And you see that's why they've blown a lot of these leads late. They also haven't been very good on defense. They don't get much pressure on the quarterback. They're um, bottom five in the NFL in pressure rate. They've got some injuries there with Justin Houston as well. So I think the Browns can run the ball on them. I think they can score enough to keep this game interesting. You know, six and a half, seven points potentially is a lot uh, to give in division to, uh, you know, an offense or the Browns. It's you know, the top 10, 12 in the NFL. Um, and it's got enough weapons to score here. So, you know, I, I would lean the Browns here, um, you know, but pay attention. If, if Bateman plays and Clowney and some others on the Browns defense don't play, then, you know, that might um, skew things a little bit on, on the Ravens side. But that's that's my initial take. Yeah, it's a game I don't got much on. So I'm going to defer to TA on Browns games. All right. Well, maybe you'll have a bunch of interest in the New York Jets as a small underdog in Denver against the Broncos, who... Uh, I don't know if you call it blew the game against the Chargers, but certainly had the lead and, and let it slip away. And only for the Chargers have been the maybe second most questionable decision-making team this year. I, I might have live bet them, but alas, I, I did not put any money on that game. So we've got the Jets plus two and a half uh, headed to Denver. The total is super low, anywhere from 38 to 39 and a half, according to our friends at BetStamp. Hitman, is there any interest uh, by you in this game? Yeah, I really like the Jets and teasers. If you get get them over seven and a half, whether you have to do a six, six and a half point teaser, all fine. Um, the Broncos are just not a team that you can envision winning by margin. 
against many, many teams, and they struggled with it all year. And he, they played some weaker opponents like Seattle, Houston, and they, they couldn't do it. So until they show me they can win by margin with this offense, uh, I'm I'm not going to believe they could do it. Um, Russell Wilson with the shoulder injury, the hamstring injury, even if he does play, remember Russell Wilson is a shorter quarterback. He needs to be able to move because to, to see over the line and his mobility is such a big part of his game. And I feel like a lot of the reason that he has regressed is that he's lost just a little bit of athleticism that he had in Seattle. And now you're going to make him a stationary quarterback if he does play against a Jets pass rush that has been surprisingly really good. And they got two corners that can match up with Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton in this game as well. So as much as I don't love Zach Wilson, I do think the Denver defense will also have some success in this game. It's really tough to see, even if Russell Wilson does play, it's just really tough to see Denver getting much margin. So I could only look towards Jets in teasers as long as you're getting him at seven and a half. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I haven't touched this game yet. I'm actually waiting uh, for the official announcement that uh, Russ is out. Uh, hasn't been official yet, so um, I'm waiting as long as possible. And then if it gets to pick, or even I mean, if somehow the Jets are favored on the road here, which would just be mind-boggling. Um, I would have to take a look at the Broncos. I, I've said it. I mean, I feel like a broken record week in and week out when these um, uh, starting quarterbacks go down, backups come in, market overreacts, and then that team ends up winning. And it's just like, it's clockwork. And Rippon's actually, he's got one start in his career, as it was against the Jets on a Thursday night. Uh, I remember backing the Jets in that game. And, you know, he looked pretty good, actually. Now, that's you know, two years ago, you know, one sample. But, you know, there's a, there's a world where, you know, he kind of uh, opens things up a little bit. And, um, you know, the Broncos players rally around them a little bit. You know, rallies around him. Um, I just think it's more about the Broncos defense, which I think is elite. We They were really good uh, against a banked up Chargers O-line on Monday night. But, you know, the Jets offense has been kind of smoking mirrors a little bit here lately. Um, you know, I still don't believe in Zach Wilson. He's 36 in the NFL in PFF grade versus pressure. And I mean, that's dead last in the NFL among quarterbacks. You know, he's, he's four. I mean, you could believe this four of 23, for 49 yards, 2.1 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, two interceptions when under pressure. And so now he's got to go to a hostile environment uh, in mile high, and it's a really good pass rush and a good defense. You know, I just don't see a world where I could ever, you know, either lay a point with the Jets if, this, if that's what it ends up being, or even just need them to win. It's a, it's a big ask against, um, against that defense. I would look to the under here. I mean, I, I know it's a low under anyway, but like – you know, not going to be a lot of points with these two teams um, unless there's turnovers. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I'm going to wait a little bit and see how the market reacts to to the news eventually that, that Wilson's out. I'm sure it's already mainly priced in, but you might get a another point here of, of, of movement. But uh, I just, you know, again, I'm sure a teaser is fine because, you know, getting over a touchdown in a game that I think is be this low scoring isn't a bad idea. But from a straight up perspective, I can't. Uh, I would only look at Denver, so we'll see what happens here. Yeah, maybe get a, a twenty to nine final and easily uh, win you your go. under bet there. 
Um, okay, uh, moving along in the afternoon slate, we've got. Are you trying to be like Tony Romo with that uh, <laughs> Chiefs when he called the score before it started? You gotta, you gotta get this stuff on tape just in case it hits, <laughs> right? Um, Two last place teams. The Houston Texans head to the desert to play the Las Vegas Raiders at Allegiant Stadium. Houston won three and one straight up. They are three one and one against the spread. Vegas one and four straight up, two and three against the spread. Uh, And Vegas is a seven point favorite pretty much across the board everywhere here. I don't know. I mean, I'm for me, I'm I'm very much tempted to bet the Houston Texans here. Uh, Vegas has not looked to me eye test, not statistically. Uh, you guys can let me know that part. Eye test haven't looked like they've put it together. Um, I guess I'll start with you here, uh, TA. Any thoughts on this one? No, no, I, I don't have much here to be honest. So um, I'll defer to Hitman if he's got anything. I you know this is, these are two teams I don't do a good job of. You know, I fade the, the the Raiders a lot and have won some and lost some. The Texans, I can't figure out one way or another. Uh, they're typically not very good on the road, except when they play Jacksonville. So, uh, but this is, I mean, I think seven's the right number anyway. I will say uh, kind of an underrated injury that just popped up uh, a couple days ago. Nate Hobbs, who's by far the best quarterback uh, for the Raiders, he's not, he's out. Um, and so, you know, that, that could be a big deal, not just for this week, but going forward that the cornerback situation is getting pretty thin in, uh, with, in Las Vegas, they don't have a ton of, you know, Rockison and Amick Robertson are not the greatest, uh, corner outside corners. Um, so you, they can be had there. I just think that pass rush might get to Davis Mills a little bit. I don't want to, I just don't want Davis Mills on the road, uh, when I don't have to, um, so it, it's there's really nothing for me uh, on this side, you know, um, from a betting perspective right now for me. Yeah, I don't have the numbers on Davis Mills on the road, but I remember it's not good at all. And you're going to be going against a, a Raiders defense that, yes, they do have the injuries in the secondary, but they they do have a pretty solid pass rush, bookend pass rush duo with Crosby and Jones. So the Raiders were a team that I ended up using in teaser legs. I mean, despite their record one and four, this is a team that is a lot better than their record. So it it really just comes down to it's hard to envision a team that we know is a lot better than a one and four team. I'd probably say power rating wise, they're about an average team. It's it's hard to envision them falling flat after a bye to, to go to one and five. And also I think that Josh Jacobs has a really good matchup against this Texans uh, defense. And the Texans do run a lot of that cover too, but Derek Carr is a guy that we know sometimes he gets called out for not being aggressive enough. So he is a guy that will just dink and dunk down the field uh, against this team as well. So I think that the, the Raiders made a good second teaser, like with some of the other teams we talked about. All right, we continue to motor on through this. Another game that um, I probably can't foresee myself touching. You've got the Chargers as a six-point favorite at home against the Seahawks. Total is 51 in this game. Um, Yeah, I would have to spend some time looking at both sides of this one to to try and figure it out. Uh, Hitman, I'll I'll start with you. I know that you don't have anything strong on this one, but any thoughts at all? Not much. I mean... Seattle's a team, although I did bet them last week, a lot of people that I respect are looking for spots to bet against Seattle as often as possible. 
So uh, that makes me a little hesitant on backing Seattle. But the Chargers also, I mean, they have so many injuries. And you, you watch them against Denver. I mean, Justin Herbert had four and a half yards in attempt, did not throw a touchdown, and was under a ton of pressure with the injuries to Rashawn Slater a few weeks ago, Corey Lindsley. Didn't play in that game. And although Seattle's not a team that you can envision getting much of a pass rush, I think that's a little worrisome with the Chargers and the way that their offense um, looked in that game. Um, So for me, it probably just ends up being a complete pass. Yeah, I haven't taken anything yet, but I'm if if Corey Lindsley is in and, you know, uh, I saw Joshua Palmer's uh, in concussion protocol. So, We'll have to take a look at that uh, second receiver spot with either him or if Keenan Allen could finally come back. You know, I think this could be a big overplay. This could be a a big shootout. You know, I know Seattle didn't score. That game was, you know, lined at around 50 last week, and it was a 19-9 final. Um, I think in this environment, you have two two defenses that haven't really stopped anybody, especially Seattle. they don't put any pressure on the quarterback, you know, give Justin Herbert some time. Uh, if he does get Lindsley back, he should be able to find his receivers down the field, you know, Seattle, you know, can, we know they can put up points now with Geno Smith. Uh, the Chargers defense is still pretty vulnerable. Um, you can run the ball, obviously in the Chargers defense too. They've allowed a couple of uh, big plays in the last couple of weeks. You know, I think Kenneth Walker is uh, showed out really well. Um, he had some really nice runs. He can he can uh, rip off some big runs. These are top. These are two of the top five neutral pass rate teams in the NFL. Uh, Chargers are number one in pace. So you know there could, there's a, there's an environment here where there's a lot of points scored. So um, I would have to. I still need to see what's going to happen with with the second receiver spot with the Chargers, and then obviously with Lindsley. Because yeah, as Hitman said, that offensive line was taking a beating um, late in that game. So um, definitely need the offense to be a little bit healthier, but uh, I think there could be some points here. Okay. Three games left on the schedule and this is America's game of the week. Uh, it actually is on the broadcast. And if it wasn't, it would have been anyway, no time for the chiefs to lick their wounds as they head to San Francisco was three point favorites, four twenty five Eastern 125 local. Um, looking forward to this one. Neither of these teams are, are spread crushers. Uh, San Fran three and three against the spread. Uh, KC two and four. T.A., let's go to you with this one. Um, does Kansas City cover a three-point spread on the road? We've got a total at 48.5 right now. Uh, how do you how do you like this? Yeah, again, it feels like a broken record, but this all comes down to injuries. Uh, the Niners got blown out last week, <clears throat> and that was mainly because they were so beat up on the, on the defensive front. And I don't know how many of those guys are going to come back, but they lost more players. Uh, during the game, I mean, you've got, I mean, they're down already. We know for sure, you know, Jimmy Ward, Emmanuel Mosley, Javon Kinlaw are all on IR. Eric Armstead, defensive tackle, he's already been declared out. Those are guarantees. So uh, now we know that Nick Bosa, who missed last week with a groin injury, yeah, I'm not sure he's going to play. If he does, he can't be 100% with a groin injury. could be aggravated at any time. Uh, their stud safety, Talano Hafanga from USC, who, who had that pick six in the Monday night game against the Rams have been awesome this year. He's in concussion protocol, did not practice today. Uh, Charvarius Ward, their number one cornerback, who's played really well. He left the game with a groin injury. He did not practice today. I mean, they are – I mean, it's again, the Niners always have injuries, but this is really bad. 
So I can't look to anything. I, I like the I like the over when it was under 48. It's at 48 and a half now. It, it um, ticked up. You know, you're getting a little bit pricey. But if all those guys are out, like I don't see how you, you slow down Mahomes here. Um, and I think the Niners can score against the Chiefs defense that, that has been better, but it's still not the greatest. Um, weather looks okay there. So, you know, um, I, I think this is a, a possibility for a shootout. Uh, but let's let's see what happens if if a bunch of those if Bosa plays and then they get a couple of their their secondary guys back might be a little different story. But you know I think it's um, for me um, it's it's the over if you can get it at uh, forty eight. Yeah, I completely agree that the old the the over is the way that you could only look to play this game. I mean, not only do the Niners have all those defensive injuries, but the Chiefs are dealing with injuries to their corners as well. And, you know, this Niners offense, a lot of times they're so run heavy and they're not very aggressive with their passing game. But if you look at the weapons they have, I mean, you have George Kittle, you have Debo Samuel, you have Brandon Ayuk, Trent Williams practiced this week. So if the Niners have all these defensive injuries, we, we know that the Chiefs are probably going to do their part in scoring. And I think that the, the Niners have the horses that could potentially keep up with Kansas City in this game. So I, I completely agree that the over is the, the only way to look. We love points. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. All right. This one's interesting, and, and more so because of the time of the game and where it's being played. A Sunday nighter in Miami – going to call this the Minka Fitzpatrick Bowl. He is playing in this game, coming back off injury. Of course, started his career with the Dolphins now with the Steelers. Yet the Dolphins is a seven-point favorite. Total is 45, 44 and a half. Guys, I thought the Dolphins really Dolphins that game last week. Uh, but it's really hard to get behind this Pittsburgh team, let me tell you. Uh, Hitman, any, any, any look on this one? Yeah, I mean, my work wants to support Miami in this game, but it's just crazy that Pittsburgh seemingly has two, three, four games a year that they have no business being in. And they just managed to, to pull it out of their ass. And that, that Bucks game last week, I mean, all the work supported Tampa just annihilating them with, with the secondary injuries that they had. And, and, you know, give Tomlin credit. He's a good. He's not. A, he's a good coach that put out a game. Good game plan, and Brian Flores is now with the Steelers staff. Obviously, he knows the Dolphins and Tua better than anyone. So for me, even though my, my work supports Miami a little bit, it, it probably ends up being a pass for me. I got nothing on this game. Tua should be back. <clears throat> Two bad defenses. Miami just can't. They can't stop many teams, um, allow big plays. They blitz a lot. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know if it matters too much who quarterbacks for, for Pittsburgh. I think they'll be able to put up some points with their wide receivers against uh, the, the corners of, of Miami. But, I, yeah, I don't – you know, we saw what happened last week with, with Pittsburgh. You do not want to uh, fade Mike Tomlin as a big underdog, you know. He just, even without Ben Roethlisberger, he just finds ways to, to cover. So to me, I've got nothing on this game, so uh, I'll lay off. Yeah, it's a, it's a curious one. Uh, not sure if there's any baseball games Sunday night, but I might might focus my attention there instead. Okay, let's go to the Monday nighter. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at the total. Open 38.5. We're seeing 39.5, 40. You've got the Chicago Bears, who doesn't seem to matter who's the head coach, who's the quarterback, uh, what's going on there. It hasn't been pretty. And uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but the New England Patriots with a third-string quarterback have been uh, effective. But they're an eight-point favorite, seven-and-a-half on the board there as well, at home to Chicago on Monday night. Uh, T.A., I'll let you lead this one off. Is there is there anything in this one? That seems like a high spread for the Patriots. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots have been hot lately, but this is kind of ridiculous <laughs> that they could be favored by almost double digits here. Um but at the same time, you got Justin Fields, young quarterback, going up against a Bill Belichick defense and scheme, and he historically has dominated that type of matchup. So, you know, if you're going to take the Bears, you just got to hold your nose and hope Justin Fields makes a few plays, and maybe the, the Patriots are really conservative on offense, and, you know, a lower-scoring affair would lead to, uh, you know, more value on the Bears. So, And look, underdogs, we haven't talked about it, but underdogs have really dominated uh, the season in the NFL this year, hitting about 60%. And so, you know, when it doesn't feel right and it hurts to, to take a take a side like the Bears, kind of still have to hold your nose and do it. So I would only look to the Bears and nothing else. So, uh, but I haven't pulled the trigger on it. Yeah, um, I spoke about the teaser legs that I like. This is the the teaser leg that I probably like the most. Um, the the Bears, they're such a one dimensional offense. And Bill Belichick is, I mean, he's probably the number one guy that you would say is built from a defensive scheming standpoint to be able to stop a one-dimensional offense. Um, I do think that Mac Jones probably ends up playing in this game. And I know that Bailey Zappi has played well, but I do think that is an upgrade for them. And then the Bears have been a defense that's just been run all over. And Ramondre Stevenson, the matchup, that he's going to have in this game, it's going to be, it's going to be a game where I have a lot of trouble seeing Chicago getting stops uh, on New England. And as I mentioned earlier, with the New England defense against a one-dimensional offense that is playing 1960s football, they they have changed a little bit though. In the past few weeks, they went from 1960s football to 1980s football. They've been throwing it a little bit more. But still, an offense that's one-dimensional like this, I think that – I don't know if New England covers the spread, but I think that they're a pretty very good luck in teasers this week. One of the things I love the most about doing this show is your absolute disdain for the Chicago Bears and how they play football. It's actually quite amusing to me. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's it. That's the full slate for NFL Week 7. Um, remember what I've said, uh, do it again. This is going to drop Wednesday night, Thursday morning, listen to it then, and then listen to it again Sunday morning after you're completely overwhelmed with all the NFL news that's out there, both from, you know, uh, to use the term mainstream media, as well as podcasts and everything on the hammer as well. There's so much good stuff on the hammer betting network, but come back to this show Sunday morning, cause you'll find a little kernel where it might push you one way or the other. It's been helpful to me. Um, once again, I'm your host, Chris Abbott, and TA from Clev Analytics, Hitman428 on Twitter. At ClevTA is TA's Twitter handle. Producer Jason, thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. We will be back for week eight, and I hope you all have great luck with your betting this weekend.